So this sermon series, we've been talking about God's original intention for us. Uh, that original intention, of course, is to live with us, to be with us. Uh, that life with God was meant to, to be, to feel like, uh, well, not really just to feel like, to be like living in the, the most perfect home, <laughs> being in the most perfect home. That's God's original intention for us, uh, what God had designed for us. Uh, and we saw some of what that entailed in the first sermon in this series. And this is like in the garden when God first created humanity. And a perfect home with God, life with God, meant personal relationship with God. That from the very beginning, we were meant to be on a first-name basis with God. Uh, it also meant comfort and satisfaction. Life with God means having all that we need, being fully satisfied. All that we need that's good and beneficial for us. Life with God also meant safety. Uh, no danger, no threat, nothing that could come to harm you, harm your relationship with God or with other people. It also meant purpose and belonging, that life in this world was meant to be an experience where you always knew what to do with your life. You always had purpose. Um, you always knew a sense of connection with those around you. So you have that sense of belonging. And of course, trust. Life of God meant depending on God. Recognizing God is God, and I affirm him as God. I trust him as God. I'm willing to follow him as God. Um, I'm willing to believe that if I trust him and follow him, all the things that I just mentioned come into place. I'll experience all the things that, uh, that we just looked at. Purpose and belonging, safety, comfort and satisfaction, personal relationship. The problem, of course, is when that last one gets broken. Right? And that last one is what holds it all together. It's trust. But if you don't trust someone, how can you live with them? And so God has created this home, and we have to treat God as God. We're not God. He's God. We have to trust him as God. Sin, and the word the Bible uses, is us not trusting him. We don't trust him. We break trust. We can't have a real home with God when that happens. And so everything breaks apart. Our relationship with God and all the things that we just listed fall apart. And the fall, and the, the, might say it spreads not just in our own relationship with God, but also throughout the creation. God, fortunately, has a plan to fix this. It's a plan that's going to happen in stages. Uh, you could say there's partial solutions that point ahead to a full solution. In this whole series, we've been seeing these kind of partial solutions. The tabernacle, Solomon's temple, Herod's temple. Um, all of them, though partial, not ideal. Uh, they're, they're a shadow of the reality. Um, their life with God, I mean, it's like life with God as if you're living in a rundown van, right? <laughs> it's something, but it's, it's intentionally meant to you to create in you, especially as you read all that went into the tabernacle and the temples, the sense of like, oh, man, I wish it could be better. It should be better. It's not the real home. The real home, the real solution, of course, comes with Jesus. And what we saw over this series is that Jesus is God coming personally to take care of things. And it starts really with that first part. I mean, say Jesus is God saying, really, what we need to bring back into place is that first thing, personal relationship with God. Right? That's where it all begins. We, we, in one of the sermons I talked about, at the very core, the very heart of it is God and you, right? Personal relationship with God. And so sin breaks that, and the fallout spreads everywhere throughout the creation. Uh, we lose the comfort and the satisfaction, the sense of personal uh, safety and purpose and, and belonging. And it's serious, right, that breaking. I mean, just look at our world, look at your own life. That tells you the reality of sin. Sin is not a casual thing, not just a, like, oh, a mistake I made. It's a, it's a real breaking. It's a real stain. It's a burden that's put upon us. And I think the sacrificial systems that we looked at with the tabernacle and the temple are ways of showing to us, like, sin is a big thing to deal with. 
And so we've got to deal with these sacrifices and all these different things. But even those sacrifices and all the rituals that they went through, as we said, partial, temporary solutions. Sacrifices needed. And all on the way, we might think, well, how are we going to provide a sacrifice like this, given the reality and the weight of sin? How can we do it? The Bible makes clear, you can't do it. God's going to do it. The testimony of the Bible is that God himself chooses to fix the problem by offering himself as a sacrifice, by offering the Son of God as a sacrifice. Hebrews 9.26 says, he, Jesus, has appeared, I'm uh, not getting a clicker here, oh, great, Uh, that he, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 10.10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See what those verses are saying, right? That Jesus is the sacrifice that atones for our sin and it redeems and restores us. It brings us back into relationship with God. Because of Jesus, we have a way to have life with God again. And once you have life with God again, once you have personal relationship with God, you can see how all the other things happen too, right? Jesus atones for our sin with his life, but also then uses his life as the space for us to live with God. Life with God is big and huge. He's an eternal God. And so Jesus is God saying, I'm giving you my life. In my life, you and the community of believers who trust and believe in Jesus can find life with God again. Of course, like we said, we have atonement of sin. We have life now with God, uh, personal relationship with God. Of course, the key to this, again, is trust, isn't it? It's a good question for us to ask just right here. Before, I'm going to be talking about some awesome stuff <laughs> that Revelation talks about, some really good things. But before I get to good things, the key to all this is, again, trust. Do you trust that God has done this? Do you trust that God has acted for you? Do you trust specifically that God has provided one and only way for you to return to relationship with him, and that's through Jesus? Do you trust God? Do you believe and trust in Jesus? No Bigger question, no better question to answer for yourself this Christmas Eve. And the thing I want to say this morning is that answer should be yes. I trust God. I believe in Jesus. It's as simple as that. I can make it more complicated for you if you want <laughs> what this is. But the Bible doesn't have to make it complicated for us. It doesn't make it complicated for us. But we believe that there's a God and that he sent Jesus and we trust in this Jesus to atone for our sin and bring us back into relationship with God, into life with him. So, if that's true for you, if you believed in God and you've trusted in him, you have personal relationship with him, well, you know then the things that we've talked about then begin to happen and, and come into place in your life because you have God in your life. So because of Jesus, we can again talk about having comfort and satisfaction, no matter what's going on in our lives. Because of Jesus, we can again talk about safety, that nothing can happen to your life apart from God's will. We can talk about purpose and belonging. You belong to God. You're a child of the king. You're part of you're co-heir with Christ. All the different things the Bible talks about. You have purpose. You belong. You matter. All those things are true. But I say all those things recognizing we still live in this world and we still have the life that we live. It's a world still marred by sin. It's a life, your life, my life, that still has problems and struggles and issues. Uh, it's imagine, it's like this. Like you have this home with God. God bought a home. You've moved in with God. You have a life with God. But this is a fixer-upper. Right? Your life is a fixer-upper. 
And so this, you're, it's true. You have life with God. You're there. You're with him. It matters. That's not gone away. But there's some parts of the house that they need to be remodeled. Other parts of the house uh, that need some, some they need to basically totally taken out. Other parts of the house that need to be added in. A little more love into your life. A little more forgiveness. You need another wing of forgiveness in some parts of the home you have now with God. Some years, and maybe this year was this way for you. Some years, I mean, you look, you look around and you're like, man, not much work happened. <laughs> Some, there's some parts that I thought would have been fixed in this home I have with God, this life I have with God, and they're not fixed yet. They're still broken. There's other parts that I thought God would be faster in remodeling, and it hasn't happened. So we look around, we see all those different things, and year by year, some things, years are better, some years are, are worse, some years are just sort of the same. And what I want to do this morning is help you see, like, all this is part of the journey towards a final end. And what God wants to encourage you with is no matter what happens, no matter the year, I don't care what this year was like or five years was like or what five years from now will look like, the final year, the final year when God returns, when Jesus returns, will be fully right and fully perfect. The promise this morning I want you to hear is that one day there will be nothing in your life that needs to be fixed or restored or remodeled. That one day God is bringing a time when life with him and life everywhere will be like it was in Eden, but even better. But even better. So what I'm going to do this morning is just read a couple passages from Revelation and comment on them and, and, and just help you sort of see this life with God and all the things that we mentioned that life is with God is supposed to be like, how it's there, but even more so. And the God is saying, this is the final chapter. No matter where you are in the process, here's where all things are finally headed. So this is Revelation 21. Verses 1 to 4. It says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. This is John who's saying this. He's the author of Revelation. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. <laughs> Roosevelt, one day soon, one day very soon, Jesus comes back, and he comes back for good. And that's not all. Jesus comes back, and the picture here is, is heaven comes down also and, and sort of merges with our world. So understand, in some sort of popular Christian imagination, what happens is one day we kind of lift up into the sky, right, and we go to heaven one day, and that's where we live on clouds with, with robes and harps, right? That's, that's not the picture the Bible gives us. The picture the Bible gives us is heaven comes to us. Heaven comes down and merges with our world and creates this new world, a heavenly world, if we want to call it that, that's defined by the presence of God and is known as being a place where God and his people live and enjoy one another forever. That is the future. That's where we're headed. And understand, this new heavenly world, it's a different world, but it's a world like ours. The Bible is not imagining sort of like, like we're going to move to Mars or something like that, right? The Bible is saying heaven comes into planet Earth, right? So we're talking about one day, there's a world where God is in the midst of it and present. It's like our world. 
in this new heavenly world, there's going to be a Phoenix, right? There's going to be an Arizona, a Proestoma Peak, right? There's going to be a downtown Phoenix, an East Valley, a West Valley, or Europe, right? And America. There's going to be all these places. The big difference is in all those places in downtown Phoenix, East Valley, West Valley, uh, Europe, Asia, Russia, wherever it is in this planet, the difference in this new heavenly world, it's completely free of evil, completely free of sin, without any of the things that make life hard or difficult or a struggle. You notice that passage mentioned this is a place with no sea. It's sort of a, a, a metaphorical way of saying, because back then in the sort of apocalyptic literature, the sea represented chaos, right, danger. I mean, you went in the sea and... A lot of times people made it, but like there's, there's shipwrecks, there's things that can happen. The sea represented all those things. The Bible is basically saying all those things are gone away. Remember we said life with God, the way it was originally created to be, was a place of safety, comfort, and satisfaction, purpose, and belonging. The Bible is saying God is going to one day make a space where all those things will be there and they'll never go away. There'll be never, no danger or threat to those things ever going away. It's a place without anything that makes us sad in the bad ways we can get sad. It's a heavenly world where no sickness or no distress or no pain is going to be there. That the things that most make us cry and bring us pain, death, that thing is going to be gone. I mean, think about the things that cause death. Natural disasters, no more. Sickness, no more. No more accidents, no more homicides, no more war, no more old age that leads to death. All those things. All those things, the Bible says, will be gone. And the reason that's true, the reason we can imagine a heavenly world like this is because this last part in that passage I read, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. The difference in this heavenly world is that God is there. God is there and Jesus is there. And we're living together with God and with Jesus and with his people. It means God's holy presence spreads everywhere and touches everywhere. That his eternity, his glory holds it all together, sustains it and blesses it. Because God is who he is, there can't be any danger. There can't be any threat. There can't be any sin. There can't be any evil. Imagine your neighborhood like this. Imagine your city. Imagine our our world like this. Imagine your workplace like this. Imagine your school playground like this. No matter where it is, it's touched by the glory of God. God is at the center of it all, and his people are there knowing it and enjoying it forever. The other picture there you mentioned, that you notice in that passage, is a sense of the city that comes. It's like a garden city that comes into the center of this new heavenly world. Right? It's like God takes the garden right, that we had in the beginning, but merges it with the city. Like, it's a way, I think, of saying... Again, God's not eliminating human development and culture. It's going to merge together in this new and beautiful way. And what's interesting is the dimensions of the city. I won't read all of it now, but if you read the rest of chapter 21, starting in verse 12 and all the way down, it gives all these dimensions of the city, right? And the dimensions of the city match basically a perfect golden cube, the same dimensions of the Holy of Holies that was in the tabernacle in the temple. So the Revelation uses a lot of this sort of symbolic language to say something. The city, the reason it's described as being a perfect golden cube, is sort of a, a metaphorical way of saying, remember the Holy of Holies? It's like that. So this garden city that's at the center of this heavenly world is the Holy of Holies. Remember the Holy of Holies was back in like the back corner, right? Like only one person could go there and once a year. The Bible is saying 
in this city, everywhere is the holy place. Everywhere has God's glory in it. Everywhere is infused with his goodness and righteousness and love. It fills the whole city. There's no part in this city that does not have God's holy presence. And the difference is we can be there with God. It's interesting, too, the other dimension of the city, that the, the size of it is essentially equivalent to the size of the Roman Empire back then. So think of what the Bible's saying. Back then, the known world was the Roman Empire, right? When the people think the whole world, they think just the Roman Empire. So the city is the size of the Roman Empire. And I think it's a way of saying the city that's at the center of the heavenly world is essentially the whole world. <laughs> that the whole world can be seen as the holy place. This, this, this city is going to influence the entire world. It's a way, again, of saying God's going to be present everywhere. God's going to be present in this new heavenly world without barriers, without restrictions. Back with the tabernacle in the temple, you have the incense smoke. You have the curtains. You have the rituals. You have the blood you have to sprinkle. Once a year, only can someone enter back there. All that is gone. The Bible is imagining a world where everything and everywhere has the glory of God in it. And we as people are right there with him. We as people are right there knowing it and enjoying it with God forever. That's why John, who's the author of Revelation, he, he writes this. In describing, after he describes the dimensions of the city, here's what he writes. He says, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Every place is holy. Every place is special. Every place is meaningful because every place knows the presence of God. Every place shines and radiates and reflects the glory of God. And we are in every place there with God. There's never, no more distance, no more, uh, no more confusion about where God is. You know where God is. He's right there with you, and you're with him forever. One more passage uh, I want to read here. This is Revelation 22, verses, uh, starting in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And the Lamb is a reference to Jesus here. Through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And nights will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Here's that life with God I'm talking about, but now it's fully realized. Right? So we talked about personal relationship, but now it's a fully realized personal relationship with God. So verse 4, the last part there, talks about how we're going to see his face. Right? The idea of, of seeing someone's face you have to see someone's face to know who, how they're like, right? right? You can't imagine you're going to date someone, but you never see how they look like, right? You have to see their face, their expressions, right, how they're like. The Bible is basically saying you will see God directly, fully, nothing hidden, nowhere like, well, what's, I'm confused about what God is, is, is saying or feeling here. No, we, we will see God fully. We'll know him fully. For all of our life, we'll know him fully and really. And then it mentions that his name will be on their foreheads. So before, the high priest, remember we talked about once a year, 
was allowed to go back into the Holy of Holies, and he wore this turban that had God's name on it, right? A way of, 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 of saying he could have this, for this once a year time, personal direct access to God. So the Bible is basically saying this idea of his name will be in his face. It's like this is basically saying your life will be stamped with the presence of God. The Bible is imagining a human reality where not just one day a year, but every day of the year, you have access to God. You have direct relationship with God. You know him and enjoy him forever. Here's personal relationship with God, right, but fully realized. We have it now with Jesus, but now there's issues and, and problems and different times we're confused. Where is God? That goes away. Bible is saying one day you will know God fully as he is. We're also going to have full comfort and satisfaction. Um, it mentions earlier in that passage uh, this idea of an ever-flowing river. There's a tree of life on, all the on the banks of this river that flows. It's a way of basically saying this is a life full of abundant blessings and joy. Think of a, a time like you're really thirsty and you have took a drink of your favorite drink. The most tasty, refreshing, satisfying drink you, you, you like to drink, right? You know what that is for some of you? Some of you, it's like an energy drink. Think of something better than that, all right? <laughs> something more healthy, right? But something that's fully satisfying and refreshing and fulfilling. The Bible is saying all of life will be like that. And I don't think, it's not sort of downplaying this. It's really saying this idea of, because water back then was essential to life. So that was the thing that was most refreshing to have. You desperately needed water right, to survive, especially in an area like this. The Bible is using the image to say all of life is going to be like this. So comfort and satisfaction, fully realized. Abundant comfort, abundant satisfaction. There's going to be safety here. You notice that passage says there, those last couple of verses, there won't be anything accursed. So you got to think back to, of course, Genesis, right? When the earth was cursed, right, because of sin. All that is gone. The Bible is imagining sort of a place of unhindered enjoyment and worship of God. It mentions there being no night. So again, think back then. There's no electricity, right? You, you had torches or candles. But if you've ever been in, in, in a place where there's not much electricity, so there's uh, a Flagstaff is considered a low-light city. Is that what they call it, right? So um, it's a place where they intentionally bring the lights down so you can see the night sky. It's dark out there. I'm a city kid, and I've been out there sometimes. I'm like, whoa, like, where are the street lamps? Like, where am I, right? It's immensely dark. Back in ancient times, I mean, that's what it was like all the time. And so think of the danger that, that could be if you're in a city, uh, how a robbery or something worse could happen to you. So the Bible is sort of talking about this, basically a place where there's no night. It's just basically a way of saying for that ancient person, translated for, day, for today, God is imagining a place when I said safety, like, there's no danger everywhere, anywhere. I mean, you're seeing these themes repeated. The Bible repeats themes as a way of just reinforcing, like, this is really true. <laughs> this is really happening. No danger, no threat. We're safe and secure. It's a life that can be lived in the open. You don't have to hide who you are or be ashamed of who you are. The Bible is imagining a human life where it can be lived fully open. And God protects it and watches over it. <coughs> there's also then... Uh, full purpose and meaning. We have purpose and meaning the instant we trust God and follow Jesus. But here's the full realization of purpose and meaning. Notice it mentions this tree that has healing, the healing of the nations. So the sense of, um, the, think, of well, think of our nations today. Uh, they represent division, conflict, hostility, injustice. The Bible is imagining a space 
where constantly all those things are being healed. They can never crop up. There's no more of those things. No more conflicts. No more brokenness. No more division. No more injustice. Everything healed, and that brings belonging. Imagine a reality where you always feel a sense of belonging with whoever you're with, whatever nation they're from. But also there's purpose here. There's purpose just instantly because of the fact that we believe in Jesus and we belong and part of the people of God. But the idea here is not that there's a heavenly world where we sort of just sort of sit around and do nothing, right? I mean, we're going to know God, enjoy God, and worship God. That's a lot right there. But I love this sort of line here at the end. It says here um, that we will reign forever and ever. You think about this. I think that, that means something, doesn't it? That you will have a purpose in this new heavenly world. There will be things to do. The thing to do is to reign over this heavenly world. The God is saying that there's going to be a heavenly world where we live with him, and there's things to do and achieve and accomplish because he's going to create all this, bring all this about, and we get to lead it. We lead it alongside God. So there's responsibility. There's, I mean, the, the biggest and immense, biggest purpose and responsibility you could have to reign alongside the Lord and do so forever and ever in a perfect world, in a heavenly world. So, God wants to have close relationship with us. Sin has gotten in the way, but the testimony of the Bible is that that did not get in the way of what God wanted us to do. God fixed the problem. He came to us in Jesus, and because of Jesus, we now have life with him right now, and we have life with him forever. And God will add in this heavenly world to seal the deal. That's the story of the Bible. And so, so we sort of consider that, I want to offer three ways to, to respond. Three ways I want to encourage you to respond. Number one, um, let's trust God. Let's trust God, which means to believe in Jesus. Like I said before, this only works if we trust that God is who he says is, and he is, he's going to follow through what he says. To trust and believe in God, to trust and believe in Jesus, and to keep believing in Jesus. This all ties into that, isn't it? Um, there's a lot of different stories about this world, a lot of different stories about where we are right now or where we're going. And depending on the story that you believe about the world or where we're going, that will affect how you live. So if you believe this world is a disaster, that's going to affect how you live in this world. If you think uh, there's nothing, that, that there's nothing, there's basically there's nothingness at the end when you die, that will affect how you live in this world. There's a lot of different ways to live in this world. But what I invite you to consider is that perhaps this is the right reality. That this is the truth. That there is a better way, a good way, a perfect way that God is leading us to and guiding us to. So to trust and believe in Jesus, to believe in that, to believe that of all the stories in the world, you could live. This is the right story, and that affects them how you live. It affects how you live. To know that no matter where you are on your journey, you know this is where all things are headed. So number one, trust and believe in God, specifically in Jesus. Number two, number two, be faithful. To get to that final end will require faithfulness, perseverance. We only win through faithfulness. But the Bible also is very clear. This is, to know that this is where we're headed doesn't mean that there won't be suffering and pain and hardship. It's one of the things I think particularly American Christianity has trouble with. American Christians, let's just be honest, we like it comfortable. We like it safe. If we have any sense of weakness or without power, we fight back, right? We need to be in control. We need our people in office. We need to have the, the strings of Hollywood and politics, all these things in our hand. And if anything, human history has shown, like, whether we have them or not, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? The reality is to live 
as a Christian, really as a Christian in this world, the promise God gave us in the Bible isn't that being a Christian means everything goes our way. Sometimes it does. More often than not, it does not. The promise of the Bible is that there's suffering and that there's pain. If you're living faithfully as a Christian, you will encounter hardship over the course of your life. That's the promise of the Bible. But God invites us to be faithful. To be faithful, not alone, he's going to be there with us. And he encourages us to tell us where we're going. But the only way you're going to get there is faithfulness. The sense of saying, I see what's happening around me. I see what's happening in my life. And it's going to be okay. Because I know where all things are headed. That leads to the last uh, thing I want to mention here. So we want to trust God. We want to be faithful. Faithful no matter what season of life we're in. No matter what season our world is in. Our nation is in. We want to be faithful and persevere. Thirdly, then, we want to be expecting. We want to expect that this is where we're headed and what we do now matters to lead us to where we're headed. I like this last verse in uh, this Revelation 22, verse 6. I don't know if I have it on my screens here. I don't. Uh, Revelation 22, verse 6. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord God, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. These words you can trust in, you can rely on. No matter what your year has been, maybe 2023 was great for you, maybe it was bad, maybe it was just normal. No matter what it is, the Bible says here is where all things are going. Here's the final year. Here's where everything is going. The final year that leads to all the years, to all of eternity. Here's where it's going. God and his people together in a new heavenly world. That's where it's headed. So expect this. Expect this and live like you expect this. Live with hope, live with confidence, and live with the knowledge that as we live into this, God's heavenly world begins to break in more and more. One of the things I believe isn't so much that like, okay, it's all a mess now and all of a sudden God comes back and it's sort of like, oh, wow, I can't believe it's all different. Like it's no, nothing like what I was experiencing right now. Because God is in us, in and through Jesus Christ, we should expect some of the heavenly world to already break into our hearts and lives. Every time you love someone a little bit more, more of the heavenly world is coming into this world and into your life. Every time you finally break that sinful pattern, that's more of heaven coming in, isn't it? More of the heavenly world being in your life and in this world. Every time you stand or speak for what is right or true or good and beautiful, that's more of heaven right now. That's a building block of heaven being locked into place into this world. And God will just build around it one day. So that's what we expect. And that's what we live into. And that's what we know we will see as we live the reality now of what God will bring about one day. So that's why we pray. Make it happen, Lord God. Make it happen now. It means Christians over, throughout the ages have said, Maranatha. It means quickly come, Lord Jesus. Quickly come. Amen? Let's pray.